a life of fear and doubt, for I wanted God to give me something I would know about, so the truth would make me happy, and the light would clearly shine, and the Spirit give assurance that I'm His and He. But it's real, it's real, oh, I know it's real. Praise God, the doubts are settled, for I know, I know it's real. So I pray to God. Caring what folks said, I was hungry for salvation. My poor soul, it must be fed. Then at last, by faith, I touched him, and like sparks from smitten steel, just so quick, salvation reached me. Oh, bless God! Doubts are set on, for I 
Thank you, Brother Moore. Well, that's tremendous. And I'm here for the second sermon. Because he just gave a wonderful first one. Open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. Thanks for letting me come. This is marvelous. See this many men here with an interest in their spiritual condition and development. I got to hear a couple of the sessions. I'd hoped to hear more and was not able to, but everything I heard was very helpful. Uh, The conference is extremely well organized, well put together. Thank you, thank you. And so thrilled about what the Lord is doing here at the Community Baptist Temple. Excited to see this building. Great young staff. All the music was good. Loved the quartet music. And of course, always enjoy hearing Brother Moore. I'm out of a couple things on the table. All my Bible songs for kids have been purchased. And a couple of the books are out. If you want anything that I'm out of, if you'll pay me the special price that I offered for the conference, regular price that's offering here, I will mail it to you and I'll pay the postage. So if you go on the website, you can get it, but it's going to cost you a lot more money. So I want you to have it. I want you to have the, the special price. And I'll be at the table a little bit afterwards. Stop at Brother Moore's table first. Uh, he's out of at least one of his CDs. You've already lost some opportunity there. But try to get what you can. Take some of the good that you got from this meeting home with you. You can play it in your car. You can read it while you're relaxing at home. And it can continue to work in your heart and life for a long time to come. Second Chronicles 15, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. Only mentioned here in the Scripture. And he went out to meet Asa. And said unto him, Asa is the king of Judah, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. If ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, for a long season, Israel have been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times, there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. For God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore. And let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded, Azariah's father is Oded, he's sometimes called by his name, sometimes by his father's name, same person, of Oded the prophet, he took courage. And he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord and gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. That whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord God with a loud voice. 
and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their hearts and they sought him with their whole desire and he was found of them. And the Lord gave them rest round about. And also concerning Maacah, the mother of Asa the king, he removed her from being queen. Because she had made an idol in a grove, and Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. And he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and vessels, and there was no more war under the five and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being here, and thank you for allowing all of us to be your sons and your servants. And Father, the best I know, I've come to the place in your word that you've drawn me to for this time, not what I originally intended. Would you use it to accomplish your purpose in our hearts and lives? And Father, I pray that a long time from now, when we've forgotten the person that delivered the message and the place maybe even that we heard it, that we'd still be living the principles that you give us. Bind, dear God, please, the devil and his demons, that they may fail as they try to come and snatch the seed of your word out of our heart soil. Bless the preaching and the invitation. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Asa is the son of Abijah, a bad king, only reigned three years in the land of Judah. Abijah is the son of Rehoboam, the king under whose leadership the kingdom was divided. Ten tribes in the north split off from Rehoboam, and they called themselves Israel. Their capital eventually settled in a place called Samaria. Two tribes in the north stayed with Rehoboam and then with Abijah, now with Asa. And they were called Judah and their capital remained where God had said it in Jerusalem. So Asa is the son of Abijah, the grandson of Rehoboam, the great grandson of Solomon. And there comes a prophet, shows up out of nowhere. We know nothing about his history, his background, or his future. He's just given this particular portion of exposure in the Word of God. And he says, hear ye me, Asa. Imagine talking to the king like that. Hey, listen up. Because the message of the prophet is far more important than the message of the king. And all Judah... And he tells them as he calls them to attention, he says, there's something I want you to understand. The Lord is with you while you be with him. If you seek him, he'll be found of you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, you cannot lose your position as a member of the family of God, but you can lose the prosperity and the blessing God wants to give you. The Lord Jesus is your Savior. The Spirit of God indwells you. Nothing can ever change that. But you're not always walking in the light. You're not always empowered by the Spirit of God. You're not always enjoying the blessing of God. All of that is conditional. And God says it's real easy. You can have as much of me as you want. But you've got to seek me. After that call, the prophet makes a comparison. I didn't grasp this for a long time. 
But you remember he's talking to Asa, the king of Judah. And then in verse 3 it says, now for a long season, Israel. Not Judah, Israel. Not the two uh, seven tribes, the ten northern tribes. Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. They had no leader. They had no law. They had no Lord. A lot like our nation. Everybody wants to do their own things. No absolute authority. The only crime in our politically correct society is to be sure of anything. They can tolerate anything except our intolerance of evil. And here's what it was like in Israel during that time. The man of God tells Asa and the children of Judah, he says, I want you to look what they got. They are, verse 5, they have no peace. They have great vexations, verse 5. The nation is destroyed of nation and city of city, verse 6. For God did vex them with all adversity. Here's what the man of God said. You might want to look and check and see how it worked out for these people that left me. You might want to just consider the result of their rebellion. You see, the ten northern tribes of Israel didn't have one good king. Some good kings in Judah, some bad kings. Now, we got a bunch of experts talking to us today. I got called the other day by the Barna Research Group. And I was inclined just to tell the lady I didn't want to mess with them. Mr. Barna is Mr. Religious Researcher. He's the one who told everybody, you're not going to be able to do church the way you've been doing it because people don't like that kind of music and they don't like in-your-face preaching and they don't like being called to a public invitation and you need to make unchurched Harry feel comfortable when he comes to your services. I told you last night, I wanted to feel welcome, but I'm not looking to make him comfortable. I wanted to be convicted by the Spirit of God. Now, a bunch of churches did that, led largely by Bill Hybels and the Willow Creek Association. I was on an airplane three weeks ago. Talked to the lady next to me, gave her gospel tract. She said, oh, you know, we just moved to Michigan from Illinois. She said, we were at Willow Creek forever. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, tell me what they tell you there to be sure you're on your way to heaven. And she said, well, you know, the, the, the big services, they have a lot of people there, and they sometimes have an overflow, and they can't get everybody in the auditorium. They have several services a weekend. And she said, those are kind of for the masses. She didn't answer my question, so I just didn't say anything. Then she said, well, they have Bible studies during the week, and they went in a little more in depth. And she still hadn't answered my question, so I didn't say anything. And then she said, I don't guess they really do tell you. Anything about that? I said, if you died today, you know whether or not you go to heaven? No. I gave the gospel letter to Christ. Now listen to me. That's not the only person that has been met from churches like that that have that kind of a zero understanding of the gospel. 
You might want to look at the results. Mr. Barna led everybody in this progressive and contemporary music. And then you know what? He studied his own churches, the products of his own research and his own recommendations. And he found out that they don't give much. He found out that they have a higher divorce rate than the world. He found out that they don't have a biblical worldview of life. And he decided he did it all wrong. So he wrote another book called Revolution and another book called Pagan Christianity. Now he recommends you have no more than 30 people and you go in a house and you sit in a circle and everybody gets to say what they want to say. And I wrote Mr. Barna a letter and I said, I I just wondered in as much as these people that you are now critical of followed your advice to get there, I wondered what responsibility, if any, you accepted. By the way, I said, there's a church not far from where you are that still preaches the Bible and does it the old way. And they got several thousand coming a Sunday. You may just want to go visit them. You might want to look at the end result. When I was a boy, my parents were not greatly worried about my psychological development. Well, they were, but it was a little different. My dad was giving me a spanking one day at a camp where he was preaching, and some wise guy came by and said, don't do that. You'll warp his personality. My dad said, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I don't like the way it's shaped now. I'm trying to adjust it. (laughs) My mother always said, you don't straighten up and fly right. I'm going to jump down your throat and dance on your liver. I don't know what that meant, but I was pretty sure I didn't want it to happen. But the worst words I ever heard from my mother, and I heard them unfortunately quite frequently, were bend over. (laughs) But we don't do that now. We can never tell little Johnny that he's doing anything wrong because that might damage his fragile psyche. So we say, oh, that's a beautiful picture you're coloring on the wall, sweetheart. Why don't we see if we can color it on this paper over here? And, and we're telling them they're all, all their little league teams win. And they're all the smartest and they're all the best and they're all the most wonderful. Hey, I got news for you. Most of us are average. That's what average means. Average means what most of us are. And we raised a generation of snowflakes and cupcakes so fragile that the idea of somebody voting for Donald Trump and putting his name in chalk on a sidewalk requires there to be special counseling sessions for them. And we've got a bunch of wimps out there and employers having a terrible time with the millennials because nobody ever told them they were wrong about anything before. Now you may just want to check and see how all that nonsense worked out. You may just want to see what happens when people decide that they have an authority that supersedes the Word of God when their human expertise is more valuable than timeless truths from God's eternal book uh, when they decide that they will spare the rod and then wind up spoiling the child. The contemporary church, they get their crowds. They know how to get people to come. I I should have taken a screenshot of it. I saw it somewhere uh, uh, the other day. uh, Somebody had had, uh, tweeted something, uh, followed me on Twitter or said something about one of my tweets and I looked at this deal and it it had a real sign from a contemporary church caution. This service includes haze and smog and lights and loud music which may be upsetting to some people and they put a deal under they said caution this service includes the king james bible and the plain preaching of the word of god which may be upsetting to some people 
Brother Chapel and I were preaching in Atlanta, Georgia years ago, and he had a meeting scheduled with Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. He said, why don't you go to the meeting, brother? Well, I said, ah, I want to go home. I don't, I don't want to change my ticket. He said, I'd really like you to come. So I went. I wasn't excited about it. It was a great meeting. True, Kathy couldn't have been more than 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. He was totally bald. I was totally bald. But the chapel still had some hair. And he was the kindest, most gracious man. He didn't talk about his business. That year, they had done $1.2 billion in business. Now they're, I think, about $4 billion a year. Didn't talk about that. Had signed letters of famous people, Barbara Bush and presidents and people in his office. Didn't talk about that. Talked about the Sunday school class he taught for eighth grade boys. Been teaching for 40 years. And during the conversation, he said, are your churches contemporary or traditional? Brother Chapel's meeting, let him answer it. Well, he said they'd be traditional. He said, we'd sing a chorus, but we still sing hymns and da-da-da. And Brother Kathy and I had kind of connected, I think, because we were both bald. And Brother Chapel noticed it. And I, I knew he was looking for something else. I said, Brother Kathy, the contemporary church is trying to get a crowd, and we're trying to get a crowd. But we're not trying to do the same things with our crowds. They want to have a crowd so they can have a crowd. And we want to have a crowd so that from that crowd we can recruit soldiers to serve in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some things that make for good crowds, but they don't make for very good soldiers. I did not know that they had just added a contemporary service to the Southern Baptist Church he'd been a member of for 40 or more years. The only time I got feisty in the whole meeting, he said, I told him. He said, I just don't see people listening to that kind of music marching down the aisle to get saved. They had put that contemporary service at the same time as his Sunday school class. They said, Mr. Kathy, we think you may lose half your class. And he said, I didn't lose a one. Then you might just want to check it out. You, you might want to look at the people that are more interested in money than serving God who tack a little bit of church onto the end of their business week and give God a little space on the shelf over to the side somewhere and see how they turn out compared to the people that put God first. You might just want to see where the churches that use the old King James Bible end up and the ones that give some perverted translation end up. You might just want to see where the young people are challenged to live separate from the world and how they end up compared to where the young people are trying, we're trying to appeal to them by being worldly. You know what they said? We can get kids to come because they like rock music. So we'll have rock music. The contemporary church loses 96% of their young people. Came from a book on music by Kerry Schmidt. I asked him where he got it. He got it from MSNBC, that bastion of right-wing fundamentalism. 96% of the young people, I'll tell you what I think it is, you got them to hear rock and roll. You know what? After a while, they figured out that the world does better rock and roll than the contemporary church does. And so when they got a chance, they went down to get the real thing. Now, you listen to me. The prophet has a message. He says, hey, check it out. See what those 10 tribes in the north have been doing and see how they've turned from God and they've done their own thing and they've gone their own way and see how it ended up for them. And here's what he says to them then. Don't be like that. He just finishes verses 3 through 6 telling them about Israel. And then he turns back to Judah and he says, Be ye strong therefore. 
And let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Can I tell you, we've got enough cocktail-sipping, movie-going, cigarette-smoking, vulgar-language-using, nasty television program-watching, rock-music-singing, so-called Christians. We've got enough churches where the preaching is diminished and the music is made a big entertainment kind of a deal instead of a ministry. We've got enough people that have cut out their Sunday night services and canceled their Sunday school and don't have any more prayer meeting and, uh, on a Wednesday night service. We've got enough stuff that we don't need any more of that for the cause of Christ. We've got enough wimpy fathers who let mama run the house and let the children decide what is to be done. We've got enough people who have allowed things to just go with the flow. And we don't need any more of that. We need somebody to be strong. We need somebody to stand up. We need somebody to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the message. That's what the man of God says. And I want you to see what happened when Asa heard these words. Verse 8. And the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. Let me read it again when Asa heard these words. Not when he saw the miracle. Not... When he had conducted a survey. Not after he had checked it out to make sure it was right. No, no. When he heard these words, I want you to see the power of a message from God. I love Brother Moore's music. He makes a few comments sometimes before he sings it. He doesn't go on and on like some people do. There are people who tell me that music is more powerful than preaching. But I notice whenever they get up, they like to talk. If music's so much more powerful, don't talk, just sing. I love music. We have good music in our church. You have great music here. It's very helpful. It's part of the Bible, but music's in the Bible. But it doesn't supersede the preaching of the Word of God. Oh, you say, a picture is worth a thousand words. Oh, I don't know. You give me a thousand words, I'll give you the 23rd Psalm and the Gettysburg Address and the Lord's Prayer and the Hippocratic Oath and most of the Boy Scouts Oath and you give me any picture worth those thousand words. No, your words are really important. Uh, That means the words you let yourself hear are really important. You be sure you're in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, New Testament, soul-winning, separated, King James Baptist church where the man of God stands up and he gives you the Word of God every service. And you be sure that you don't get yourself listening as a Dr. Broadbottom and Mr. Sounding Brass and Reverend Smooth it over on the radio and hear all about the nonsense that they have to say. Hey, it'd be a good idea if most of those programs on the television and radio that call themselves Christian would go off the air and you'd use the money to start independent Bible-believing, soul-winning Baptist churches. You be real careful who you listen to. A lot of you got too much limbo and not enough Lord. Spend 
hours a day watching Fox News. I'm glad there's Fox News out there. I turn, if I turn on the news, I always turn on Fox News. But you got more Fox News in your heart than you do Bible. I wasn't going to say this. I hope you don't misunderstand that I, I used to read the Bible through every year. And then one time I read a little extra in New Year's Day, so I thought, I bet you I'll read you twice this year. Then another time I got reading a little more, so for a long time I'd read the Old Testament four times a year and the New Testament six times a year. Then I got to where I realized I was reading the Bible and memorizing the Scripture, so I'd read a little extra so I could take the month of June and maybe memorize the book of Philippians and the month of December, memorize Ephesians or First Thessalonians or something like that. And then I got reading it more and the last few months of last year, I got to read the Bible once a month, and I read the Bible so far. I've read it twice through, and my third time through for this year, I'm on the book of Acts. No, I'm sorry. I finished Acts and Romans, so I'll be in the book of First Corinthians. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. But did you know that if, if you read the Bible through in a year, and you read at the moderate rate of a typical high school graduate, 250 words a minute. It's a very moderate rate. It'll take 8.6 minutes a day to read through the Bible in a year. You wonder why our Christians are so messed up? Because about 86 minutes of secular influence and about 8.6 minutes of the Word of God. You read it be really careful the words that you allow yourself to hear. And you better be really careful that you, the words that you say to other people. Now, I don't think you ought to coddle your kids, but I think you ought to love your kids. I think they ought to know they're important. I, I think you ought to look for every way to appropriately praise and uplift and encourage them that you possibly can. I, I read a survey and, and they asked teenagers, secular survey, what would you change if you change one thing about your family, your home life? And the number one thing was they said, I wish my parents wouldn't be sarcastic when they spoke to me. Now, there's Johnny. He thinks he knows everything. He's 13. I've heard parents talk like that about their kids a lot. Talk about their children while they're there as if they weren't there. What your children need to hear more than anything else is, I love you. Greatest gift my father gave me was the gift of security. My dad's 90 years old, and I was going to preach a different message and talk about him some. He still teaches in adult Sunday school class. He called me a couple of days ago to tell me he'd led one of my cousins to Christ. And dad, he made me behave and he wouldn't let me get away with doing wrong. And he gave me a lot of good instruction. But, but I just knew that if I, if I hit the ball or missed, it was going to be okay with dad. If I, if I did well at something or was a little uncoordinated, it's going to be okay that dad would love me no matter what. My dad's the most secure man that I know. And he gave that to me. And a lot of you don't mean to, but you're making your children really insecure by your words. Better listen, be careful about the words you listen to and the words you say to your family and the words you say to yourself. Words really matter. Words are a big deal. It was in 1900, August 11th, that Charles Paddock was born. In 1920, 
At the University of Southern California in the track and field competition, he won the gold medal in the 100-yard dash. He went off to the Olympics and won a gold medal there. He was speaking in Cleveland, Ohio, not far from here. There's a little boy in the crowd, been born in 1913. His father had moved from Alabama to Ohio for a better job. He delivered groceries and loaded freight cars and worked at a local shoe repair shop. Little... James Cleveland loved to run. He'd run from one job to another. He'd run to school. His coach met with him early in the morning because he had to work so many jobs, even as a young man, to help the family that he couldn't come to the regular practice. And his coach would always say, "Uh, James, uh, you can do something. James, you can accomplish something. And his mother always said to this skinny little black kid, you can be somebody. And he heard Charles Paddock speak. Charles Paddock, the fastest man in the world at that time, said, Do you know who you are? I'm here to tell you who you are. You are children of God. You are Americans and you have it in you to become whatever you want to be. If you'll set a goal, if you believe in that goal and in yourself, if you'll work hard and never get up, if you trust God, you can be what you want to be. Little James Cleveland walked up after the meeting and said to Charles Paddock, Mr. Paddock, I want to run like you do. I want to be a world champion like you. I want to live, uh, uh, win the Olympics like you do. I'd give anything if I could do that. And Paddock said to him, you can if you'll practice. You can if you'll work. You can if you'll give it your best. James Cleveland went to the Cleveland East Technical High School where he was a track star. As a senior, he set a world record in the 100-yard dash of 9.4 seconds. He tied uh, that record again in Chicago. In Ann Arbor in 1935 at a Big Ten meet, he had fallen down a flight of stairs. It was questionable if he could even participate. But he ran the 100-yard dash four-tenths of a second faster than he had before. He set a world record in the broad jump. He set a record in the low hurdles, 22.6 seconds. James Cleveland set three world's records in one 45-minute track meet and tied a fourth. You know him by his nickname, his initials, J.C., kind of ran together and they called him Jesse. His name was James Cleveland Owens. James Cleveland, Jesse Owens, went to Hitler's Germany in 1936 where Hitler was trying to showcase the supremacy of the Aryan race. In one day, Jesse Owens won a gold medal in the 100 meter, the 200 meter, the long jump, and the 400 meter relay, four gold medals in a single day. Hitler slipped away out of the stadium before the crowd was leaving to avoid having to congratulate a black man. Harrison Dillard was born in 1923. He went to a parade in Cleveland honoring Jesse Owens. He later met him and Jesse Owens gave Harrison Bones Dillard his first pair of running shoes. Bones Dillard said, Mr. Owen, I wish I could be a runner like you. I wish I could succeed like you. I wish I could accomplish something like you have. And 
Jesse Owen, remembering the words spoken to him years before by Charlie Paddock, said, you can. If you'll try, you can. If you work, you can. If you'll give it your best. And in 1948 at Wembley Stadium in London, England, Bones Dillard won a gold medal in the 100-yard, the 100-meter race, tying Jesse Owen's record. Won again in the 110 turtles in, in uh, hurdles in the 1952. Won four gold medals. And it was the power of the words of Charlie Paddock spoken to Jesse Owens and the words of Jesse Owens spoken to Bones Dillard in this meeting is to say to you, you can live for God in a compromising society. You can raise your family to turn out right. You can be pure in an evil and wicked world. You can have the power of God on your life. You can escape the corruption of sin that the devil is using now to control you. You can, you can, you can, you can. The courage they took from the words, but then notice if you would please the cleansing. After they heard the message, they had to straighten some things out. He put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim. And he renewed the altar of the Lord, verse 8, that was before the porch of the Lord. It was a pervasive cleansing. They straightened everything out. They didn't leave any known area of disobedience to God in place. It was a progressive cleansing. If you read chapter 14, they'd already cleansed the land of the idols. Now they had to do it again. You know why? Because sin always comes back just like weeds in your garden. You know why? Because they'd taken some new territory and they had to take care of that. My dad ran the Detroit Rescue Mission. It's now the largest mission in the world, no longer fundamental. Last I knew, their budget was $20 million a year. He built the building they still use. He got them out of debt. He started many of the programs they have. They had a summer camping program. Inner city kids would come and teenagers from the Detroit area churches would counsel them. My dad always have a meeting at the end where they had to clean up the campgrounds and get ready for the state that owned it. The state was taking campgrounds for the inspectors to come and approve everything before he could leave. And he always said this. He said, sweep your cabins out two times. Sweep it really good. Get every little bit of dirt out of the corner. Sweep it all. And then he said, when you're all done, sweep it again. And he said this, you'll be surprised how much dirt you get the second time. God's cleansing of us is progressive. Things didn't show up on our spiritual radar screen as being wrong last year. going to convict us this year. That's good. But this cleansing was also personal. His mother had an idol. He didn't cover it up. He didn't say, well, we won't say anything about it, Mama. You know what he did? He went down and he cut down her idol and stamped it and burnt it at the Brook Kidron, verse 16. Sometimes we allow things going on in our family. We'd be disappointed if anybody else let go on in the church. Because we don't want to do the personal cleansing. There's a great preacher of a previous generation named Phil Schuler. Phil Schuler's dad was a preacher in Los Angeles. He great story of his own life, fighting Bob Schuler. When Phil Schuler was a young man, he got a toothache and he went to the dentist and the dentist said, Well, you need a crown on that. We've got to put a gold crown on that. And he said, It's going to cost, I think he said two hundred dollars. And this would have been like in the forties. It was a lot of money. He said, oh, Doc, I can't afford that. He later on joined the service. 
the U.S. Navy, I'm told. And he got to boxing for the Navy, and they were in a tournament. He was boxing for his unit, and he got popped in the jaw right where that tooth was, and it started hurting terribly again. So they said, we'll send you to the Navy dentist. And he went to the dentist, and as it happened, it was the exact same dentist whom he had seen before. The dentist had also enlisted to fight in World War II. And he smiled. He walked into the room, and he said, hey, Doc, 200 bucks, courtesy of Uncle Sam. Put it right there. Dentist smiled. Now, remember, Phil Schuller had never been to the dentist except that other experience where he had nothing done. And the dentist said, would you like me to use Novocaine? I'm suspicious of any syringe that has little loops to put your fingers on on either side. I mean, if it needs that much leverage, it's probably not a good thing. Phil Shuler looked at the needle and said, no, I don't want any Novocaine. Okay. Lean back in the chair and he starts to drill. You don't need to waterboard anybody. Just play that dentist drill real loud in their ear. And then he put it in his mouth, and he started to drill, and Phil Schiller said, ah! I said, Doc, what are you doing? He said, I'm cutting the decay out of that tooth before I put the crown on. He said, don't worry about that, Doc. Just put the crown on it. And the dentist said, I don't work that way. See, if he did put the crown on the corrupted tooth, it'd just keep rotting on the inside, and the pain wouldn't go away, and the tooth wouldn't be strong, and it wouldn't do any good. And we like to say, God, crown us, use us, bless us, help us. And God says, okay, we've got to take this out, we've got to take that out. Some of them aren't even sinful things. They're weights, not sins. And we say, ah, Lord, what are you doing? He said, I've got to get the corruption out of your life before I can crown you. We say, oh, God, don't worry about that. Just put the crown on. And God says, I don't work that way. And then I want you to notice their commitment. Now, this is really, really interesting to me. He gathered, verse 9, all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with him out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. For they felled him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they brought seven hundred oxen, seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. I want you to notice something really interesting here. Uh, This is Judah. This is Asa's kingdom. This is not Israel. But now he's got a bunch of people coming from Ephraim and from Manasseh and from Simeon. They're coming from those northern tribes and they're moving down to the land of Judah. You'll find later on there is even the defense of an Israeli king to try to stop that in a battle that comes in the next chapter because of that. And the Bible says they came because their music was contemporary. They came because the sermons were shorter. They came because they, they had uh, 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 some really cool worldly music for the teenagers. They, they came because they quit trying to tell people how they spoke. No, 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 no. They came because they saw that the Lord, His God, was with them. Let me tell you something. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to compete with the emptiness of the contemporary church. You just have to let people see that God is there. You have a church where souls are being saved, that marriages are being put back 
life together. Teenagers are getting right with their family and right with God. Young people have a heart for God and want to go out and serve Him. And people will love to find a church like that. So notice their commitments. They weren't doing what was popular. It wasn't preference-based. Their commitment was unselfish. They start by giving generously to God. It was unrestrained. They shout with joy. And it's universal. They made a covenant that everybody else had to do the same thing. Those are the elements of the commitment. The end of the commitment is in the end of the chapter. There was no more war. In verse 15, the Lord gave them rest roundabout. 1917, Harold Grings went to the mission fields as a single man. I commend his story to you. I can get you the little book that it's written in. He was not a Baptist. He didn't believe like we do. And as he studied the Bible, he found out that baptism was only by immersion. And he found out the mission board made the converts have a year's probation before he could baptize them. And he decided the Bible didn't teach that. So he came back home, resigned that board, and became a Baptist. <laughs> Met with his wife and five children. They'd taken a little time off the mission field to help Bob Jones Sr. start Bob Jones College in Panama City, Florida. And they got on an old wooden boat, was going to make his last voyage. And they had so much space. They put a vehicle on there. They put a printing press on there. All kind of personal goods. They're going to go to a good-sized city in Africa, set up a base of operations and print literature and go out into all the villages. And the boat started to leak. The captain could only think of one thing. They didn't have a radio or any way to get for help, get help for themselves. So he set the ship on fire and hoped somebody would see the smoke. And a Dutch freighter saw the smoke and came by, picked up all the passengers. Nobody died, but all their stuff was lost. And Mrs. Gring said, Daddy, maybe God doesn't want us in Africa. We're going the wrong direction. We've lost all the stuff we had. And old Brother Gring's just smiled. He said, No, sweetheart, God wants us in Africa. He just wants us to be able to travel light. <laughs> no man's ever been on vacation with a woman has not had that desire. <laughs> Nor has any man been on vacation with a woman and had that desire fulfilled. <laughs> So the Grings and their five children went to a village in Africa that had never seen a white man, far from anything you could call civilization. And they were kind. They listened. None of them got saved. Mrs. Grings knew a little bit about medicine and about childbirth. She'd had five of her own children and kind of became known in that village and other villages that she could help. And she had a few medicines with her. She got fever real bad. She wasn't really recovered, but the call came from a neighboring village to go and help. And she went, and she came back so exhausted, she just lay down in the bed. And in the morning, they found she'd gone to heaven. Had ever service the same day in that hot, humid jungle climate. The natives watched, and they saw something they'd never seen before. Death was their most dreaded enemy. And these people were sad, but, but they were still hopeful, and they, they were sad, but they had some reasons to rejoice, and, and they sang songs that weren't all mournful songs. 
Of course, the calls came from home after that. You've got to come back, Brother Grannies. You can't stay out there in some villages, village hours away from any kind of civilization alone with your five children, no wife, no mother for those kids. But one of the natives came and said, Missionary, tell me more about Jesus. Brother Griggs did, and he got saved. And another said, I want to know Jesus, and he got saved. Another said, Missionary, I want to accept Jesus, and he got saved. And one after another after another, and Brother Griggs gathered them together. He said, look, we've been here a long time, and none of you gotten saved. Why now are you getting saved? Well, they said, Missionary, we knew your religion was good enough for living, but we didn't know whether it was good enough for dying. And now we see that it's good enough for dying. It was 13 years before Brother Grings went back to the United States. One of those daughters named Louise, she married a man named Daryl Champlin. I urge you to look up on the internet the sermon, Love with Shoes On. Maybe the best missionary sermon you'll ever hear. They served in the Belgian Congo and then in Suriname for years and their children went into the missionary work and their children are going into missionary work. And now from Brother Grings and his five children, there are over a hundred missionaries that have served God around the world and they're into their fifth generation. And you know what it was that made the difference? There was something in old Harold Grings that we're lacking in our society today. It was an absolute unwavering, unswerving commitment to God and His work. Lord, you gave us the story of Israel for an example. You told Benjamin not to follow that example and Judah not to follow that example. And when they didn't, you sent them people from all kinds of other places. But you made them clean some stuff up. So help us. Speak to our hearts. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if the Lord's dealt with you about the words you listen to, the words you speak, the words you say to yourself. I wonder if there aren't some things that ought to be cleansed in your life. The Spirit of God spoken to you. Folks are already starting to move on. You just come on right now and join them. I know we're supposed to raise hands and have music and all that stuff, but maybe just good to do.